This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash artscouncilengland. I'm Emily Pringle and I'm Head of Learning, Practice, Research and Policy at Tate Gallery. And the job title indicates that I have both practice and research in the job that I do, which is significant in that it indicates, in a sense, our commitment to investigating what we do and why we do it. Um, And what I'd like to talk about is drawing on some of our experiences, which is, in a sense, what we're trying to do is go back to first principles in order to try and get some kind of handle on notions of what, what it is that we're doing and how can we do it well? Are we doing it well? What on earth are we doing? Could we do it better? These are, this is kind of where we're coming from. And we're working with a guy called Steve Seidel, who's a professor of education from Harvard, from Project Zero. And he uh, was one of the authors of this um, document, which I can recommend as a piece of research that was very specifically looking at the qualities of quality in arts education. So he did a big, with colleagues, they did a big, Uh, research program across the states asking people really these sort of three questions or the research was certainly informed by three questions how can we define high quality arts learning and teaching what what in a sense can we can we see in in the learning context what's visible what can we look for that is indicative of a sense of uh, of something of being of quality and then slightly sort of um, related to that is that sense of what you know how do a program's foundational decisions affect the pursuit and achievement of quality and what he uh, they actually mean by foundational decisions are the really kind of fundamental ones so it's not only in terms of the broader meta questions around you know how's it funded how's it perceived within the institution for example but right down to the kind of individual decisions made by people in the room so you know the decisions by young people participating in a learning program do they take part do they absent themselves you know so the, it's it's sort of in a sense looking at and and drawing attention to the importance of decisions which is something perhaps we could come back to Sorry, could you just say the name again? Steve Seidel he's called and it's called the qualities of quality Seidel S-E-I-D-E-L so what we're doing is we're looking at these questions in a sense first principle questions but we also do have in our mind a sense that we need to not only be asking these questions but also putting in place some kind of framework um, that's you know in part kind of reflective practice in part practice-led research and in part evaluation Um, and we're not only looking at sort of Steve's work, but we're looking at other kind of models of practice that we think are kind of useful. And we've come, we came across this definition of evaluation, which, although not, you know, I, I wouldn't say we're not using this as this is evaluation, absolutely. But there are things about this that we find useful. One of which being is that it draws attention it's the things that it draws attention to that we found useful. One is the sense that it's systematic, that evaluation is, you know, is something that you can put in place as a systematic activity. 
that it draws attention, that um, definition draws attention to the importance of process, but doesn't ignore the importance of outcome, but it does put the focus on process. Um, and it also draws attention to the idea of standards for comparison. And I think the word standards quite often kind of completely freaks everyone out and they go, oh, standards, no, you know. But actually, it's about understanding what it is that we're evaluating against. And again, I'll come back to this. So it's, it's basically acknowledging that we need to articulate what it is that we're doing in order to understand whether or not we're doing it. And then the, the last bit, which I think we also think is really important, is this idea that you undertake this activity primarily to improve your practice. So, you, you know, going back to what I just said, that you try and understand what you're doing in order to do it better. The advocacy is maybe part of that, but what we're doing in a sense is this process of kind of, what, you know, really looking at what we're doing. So we've, we have started by asking three questions. And the first question is, what are the core values that underpin our programmes? So we've gone to every single team and we have early years and families, schools and teachers, uh, youth and adult programmes that runs across the whole kind of gamut of adult programmes. And we've asked them the question of what is it that you're doing for every strand and more significantly, why are you doing it? And in answer to the why question, Basically what's kind of surfaced is loads and loads of different reasons, which is absolutely fine, except for the two answers of, I don't know, and because we've always done it. And those are, those are the non-answers. But for example, we had one response, which was, we're doing it because it's an institutional prerogative, it's political, we wouldn't necessarily choose to do this, but for the, for the greater good of the organisation, we are undertaking this. That's fine. We know why we're doing it. Now we can look at it and go, well, is it achieving that? Does it actually serve the institution? Or is it that we think it serves the institution, but actually the institution couldn't give a toss? Funders don't care, they don't think it's particularly good. So why are we doing it then? So it's, it's making explicit our values and what, what it is that we're trying to do. And then it's, it's from that it's going, well, if this is what we're trying to do, what do we put in place in the minutiae of our practice to make those, make those values a reality? So if we say we have, as we do say, you know, uh, we, we take creative practice, art practice, as a model of good creative learning, so therefore we look to art practice, how does that translate into the way we work with artists in our programmes? Do we work with artists? Do we work with artists who have a, have a living practice? So it's kind of, again, it's interrogating what it is that we're doing. And then really being able to, in a sense, justify to ourselves and others, and this is perhaps where the advocacy thing comes in, is saying, we really believe this, and this is why we think this is of quality. So it's, it's actually kind of, in a sense, trying to put our you know, money where our mouth is, really, because if we genuinely believe that what we're doing is of good quality, we need to be able to articulate it. And one of the things I think, in terms of, of what this whole exercise is about, is about developing a better language to be able to articulate what it is that we're, we're doing. So um, that's what we're struggling to do. And I, 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 in no way are we there at all, but we are, you know, we're right in the thick of it, I think.
So the, and, and where we will go from there, although we're not there yet, is this idea of going back in a sense to, to the questions in the qualities of quality. Um, if we think something is qual of quality, what do we look for when you go in the room? If you're, if you're doing a programme, for example, that's about empowering young people, what do you expect to see as almost as soon as you walk into the room? What's the context that you want? What's the environment that you want? What's the quality of the dialogue that's happening? You know, so that we can then start, in a sense, to be able to capture that information, analyse it, and then be able to articulate it to to others, bringing various, you know, if we want to, bringing frameworks from other, um, uh, you know, existing frameworks or other theoretical perspectives or other models of practice. So that's where, and we're just starting to do this. This is like, Laura, you're like the, um, the uh, therapist who's been to sleep, and I'm now going to say, I've had an enormous breakthrough and I've never said that to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and you missed it. But anyway, so the reason why I put the three questions for this session is really, I put them, but actually having put them, I, I, I almost want to kind of put further questions to this, which is really, is it a valuable exercise to start by identifying your core values? Is that what we need to do? I mean, we think it's important and that's why we're doing it. And if you're working on that basis of, you know, looking at core values and then thinking about how do those core values manifest themselves in practice, what does that mean in terms of, you know, this idea of, of then articulating what we think of as quality? And, you know, are there pluses and minus? I mean, it's been a really useful exercise for me being part of these conversations over the day because actually it's brought to my attention some of the limitations of, of this process and actually what we need to not lose sight of through doing this because this is very much evaluation for institutional and practice development and that's where we're coming from really so that's all i'm going to say i'm going to leave those there um, I'm Pippa Jones from Create Gloucestershire. I'm interested to know why you think it's limited if you're mostly using your evaluation framework to improve practice, because it seems to me that's what people yeah. have been saying today isn't done enough of. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think almost up until today, I'd have said there's absolutely nothing that is, is wrong with this. And I don't, I absolutely defend where we're coming from. But actually what has come to my attention is this sense of... Uh, you know, I think people have become, or we've become so disenchanted with that sense of measuring outcomes. But actually we can't, what, what was pointed out in the last session is we can't lose sight of that. So it's, you know, it, we have to do what we're going through, I think, but also bear in mind that we still have to think about what happens to the participant at the end of it. What thought, just give me your thoughts. I think that's really exciting. I'm really, really pleased to hear somebody talking about going back to core values and about what, where am I coming, where are we coming from, and why, what motivated us in the first place, and having that so directly linked with evaluation and quality. So I'm really excited to hear what you're saying. I'm excited too. But how do you? It, the but shouldn't have come. Yeah, yeah, how do you um, ensure that the whole organisation feels it? Does it? Is it a top down? Because I work with schools, and when they look at improvement, 
the, the one of the things we always say is it's only going to be successful if the head teacher yeah. really gives everybody yeah. permission. All that kind. We all know that kind of stuff. Yeah. So is that how it feels at such a large organisation? It's a really good question. Um, I uh, we've had this where, and it came up in the previous session. Is is will you talk about art articulating our values? And actually, some of our values, i.e., the learning department's values, aren't necessarily the values shared by Tate as a whole, even though our mission statement would suggest that our values should be shared by the whole, the learning department's values should be shared. But so I can't, I can't say that we can assume that everybody buys into this. But what we've taken the view of is. Well, if we can articulate what our, our values are, that is the place from which to start. And then, in a sense, we can engage others in a much more meaningful conversation about why their values aren't necessarily the same as ours. But we, are, we get a, this strong sense that we are much more powerful because our language is better, our arguments are better, our, you know, everything we bring to the conversation is, is more rigorous, really, because we've done, we've done this. Can I just follow that up? Mm. So would you say that there's a, an element of your job is about making sure the rest of the organisation are taking on board the ethos of what learning is? Yeah. Because I think that's what hasn't been discussed a little bit today, that I feel a pressure that from my chief exec now, not only have I got to look at it for the outward facing yes. but I've got to do it for the inward facing stuff. Yeah well. again I think that's a, a really good point I think we have a huge internal advocacy program going on um, which at times feels significantly harder than than the external one um, you know that that for an institution that does have as its mission statement, you know, we are there to, I can't even remember what it is, but it is to enable people to engage with art. And um, there are times where you think, really? Is that, is that really what we're doing? So, you know, that it is that thing, but I think it's as important, hence the need for us to be able to, to articulate very well what the quality of what we're doing is in relation to what other people are doing within the institution um, yeah do other people have that that they're being asked to internally advocate <laughs> yeah absolutely um, and actually for the organization I work for, for the courtyard in Hereford where um, the learning and education side is still fairly new um, we used to be a producing venue um, stopped that because it was making us lots of it was losing us lots of money um, and actually the education department has since taken over that kind of strand but there's still members of our team who want to go back to the good old days of producing um so I, not even ever got to overcome barriers of um okay this is the new kind of ethos of the organization i've got to share kind of everything that we're doing as well and it's mm. those time pressures the one thing that we are doing is creating uh, case studies mm. so that actually we're not having to say what we're doing and how great it is the young people that we're working with ourselves are saying that and that's the stimulus for our discussion and it kind of just backs everything up that we're doing rather than it coming from well of course you're going to say that because you're the education officer or yeah, yeah, yeah. so it, it's taking it back to the young people for them to speak for us which can only empower us as a department within an organization yeah. um, am i right in thinking that actually if you just added into your step one when you're asking people 
you know, what you're doing and then the critical question why, yes. you would from that why question have a lot of your outcomes that you could then convert into your payment by results. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I don't think you need to have something else yes. in addition to this, do you? No. And wouldn't this be a really good framework for to come out of mm. today? Because it does allow you to have both, mm. to answer both conversations, if that makes sense, yeah. without having to change the process, which is so simple but yet so, you know, clear. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the principles that I think would be really great to come out of today is a kind of commitment to this degree of interrogation of, of practice. Yeah. So in a sense, if you are doing quality work, you should be able to, to do this. Yeah. Uh, you know, you should be able to articulate what your values are yeah. and you should be able to articulate how those values are made real in your practice as a kind of step yeah. one of good yeah. quality work. It should make sense to somebody outside yeah. the organisation who knows nothing about what you're doing. Exactly, and through that, I think you oh. then um, develop the language, people's own language is there for them to be able to say this is it, this is what we're doing, why we're doing it, this is what we think will happen as a result but we will put in process whatever uh, monitoring or you know procedures to identify whether or not that will happen and you know and then uh, yes you've got to <laughs> I, in the previous session um, there were quite a lot of small organisations mm. and they were quite anxious about well firstly they had to develop something but also adopting something that was going to take quite a lot of time and sort of in a way detract from their frontline delivery which they felt was their core business so I'm, I suppose I'm interested in not, not so much as how, how much time in the development yeah. But if, if something like this were to be adopted, what are the sort of resource implications for the range of organisations that are sort of represented? Well, I think it's as kind of how long's a piece of string, actually, because, I mean, the, the, the posing of the question, what is it you're doing and why, you know, you, could, you can get people to go away and think about it overnight. You, or you can ask people to write a thousand word text on it. You know, it's, it's getting people to do the thinking, which is the most important thing, I think. And then um, if people are setting up new strands of programming, uh, they have to have that question in their head before they do it. So in a way, it's not, I don't think it's about reframing what you're doing rather than thinking, right, we need whole new strands of activity and we need a whole new evaluation. It's just, it's just repositioning it away just from delivery to this kind of process of, of questioning what you're doing. It's, ref it's embedding reflective practice in what you do. But I suppose what seems attractive about that is that it's almost like you can do that to the depth that suits your organisation. Yeah. So yeah. for a big organisation, it would be... Yeah, exactly. We can navel gaze for hours. Uh, I never said that, um, <laughs> But <laughs> then people have. Um, other organisations could do it, yeah. you know, sort of bespoke to yeah. the. resources. And I mean, resources. one of the, one of the um, programmes that we're also doing, um, which I think some people here are part of, is, is Tate has this network, of, which is called Plus Tate, which is where the, where the mothership works with 
you know, suppose it, well, I think it genuinely does support a network of regional galleries across the UK and we have a new learning programme in place. And the whole point of that is to, in a sense, enable people to come together just to give them the space to go, what is it we're doing and why is it, why are we doing it? So it's almost, you know, in an ideal world, I think that would, that's what people would, would love if they can spare it, is, you know, three, three sessions a year almost to come together and go, what is it we're doing? Why are we, do why are we doing this? <laughs> what can we do better? Um, but, you know, it is, I agree, I mean, it is, it is, it, you know, I'm conscious that we are in a privileged position as a big institution that, you know, with a team of people so that if somebody goes away, that's not the entire learning department that's left the building. So, you know, I think it would be worth whatever principles we come up with building that flexibility and that sense of kind of having something that people can can adapt to the reality of their own experience. But to give you some support on it as well, I think that's what things like today are about mm. because um, I thought I'd sit here and go, oh my God, you've got an early years person, a young people's person and a school's in it. But I've sat here and gone, oh, it's just, I think it's responsibilities of the larger organisations mm. to how we then collaborate to get, mm. so your learning, we don't have to do again, as it were. So uh, I think it's great. I haven't sat here and felt bitter at all, which is all, oh, good. <laughs> which is all right. I must try harder. <laughs> yeah. I must be smugger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, and I think that's really interesting as well, because um, I'm going to talk about it in a little while, actually, but we've sort of started this journey a few odd bods pulled mm. together um, but they are mainly big organizations really and I think it was to be able to test was there any agreement sort of between those big beasts as it were mm. in the first place because if there wasn't going to be it was going to be really difficult if we hadn't got Tate, RSC, ROH you know etc etc in a willing position then yeah. we didn't feel we were going to be able to sort of move forward in a way um, but that I think people are sort of happy as long as they can have those broad principles rather than something imposed on them. Yeah, I mean, I've, got, I've had a very strong sense from the conversations that I've had today that absolutely the last thing people want is a, is a, is a prescriptive framework that will just be rolled out, you know, and, and that's another set of forms to fill in. I mean, I think it's a real, for me, indication of how much more sophisticated the, the conversation has become over the last 10 years that people recognise, in a sense, we've tried that, we've, we've really done our best with those frameworks and, and we've learned what they can give us and now we need something more and, you know, that's more closely related to the actual practice of what we're doing and that we're confident enough to be able to go, actually, no, this is what we do and we'll start from there rather than... You know, but then I get very nervous when you you know you hear the, what was happening about the what was it the you know cash for payment by results. Payment by results. I wasn't say cash for privileges or whatever it is. <laughs> cash for questions. Cash for questions. <laughs> Model. No, not at all. No, not at all. Um, but then I think. Maybe going back to what you were saying, I think if we if we are if we have a really robust set of principles, yeah. 
we have something in a sense to be able to 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 present in order to say you know these are results this is you know we started out trying to do this and this is what's you know this is what we can do these are the re results i don't think it necessarily prevents us from from addressing that issue i think it's a really important point as well because um there's something I think for me that there's a slight lack of confidence in the sector mm. about knowing what we should be saying collectively or what we should be saying full stop. And if we can come together to confidently show that we've got a, a view yeah. and an approach, it's much easier to you know, say, well, cash for privileges or whatever yeah. over there. We might have to, I don't know, yeah. we might have to pay attention to it to, to a degree, but we're confident as a sector that what we're doing has got sort of rigour and is yes. solid yes. and everyone can get behind it. So yeah. I think that's important. I think it's that rigour. I, I mean, I really love the word rigour. I think it's, it's <laughs> I don't know quite why, but uh, because it, I think it is that thing of we take what we do very seriously and we, and we think about it a lot and we go back if something isn't working and we try something different and we constantly ask ourselves, is what we're doing the best that we could do it and that to me is good practice and it's it's a sense kind of articulating the that attention to you know the detail of what we do and and the and the kind of commitment to it that i think sometimes gets lost in translation somehow and and it doesn't make its way into a in a to a standard funding report it doesn't get communicated um and I think, if, you know, in a sense, if we could kind of sort of... And that, I think, comes from confidence, in a way. It comes from, you know... Sorry, I was going to say, you said it earlier, though, is embedding reflective practice. Those types of things only feel like common language in the learning departments mm. of places. And um, we've talked today loads about things like frameworks and stuff that feels... Um, tangible or something to hold on to whereas reflective practice isn't something that I don't think you can uh, easily articulate if you don't know it yeah so um, that's the other thing if the whole of my organization understood or felt they understood what reflective practice was when we came to things like frameworks and stuff it would feel a lot yeah. easier because it's always part of it and we haven't talked about reflection or it's been a lot more about evaluation mm. today and uh, so I think that's important as well to to give organisations the skills to not train, but to impart what reflective practices. Yes, influencing. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, sometimes I do sit in meetings and I'll be having a conversation like this with colleagues, not from within learning, and I absolutely, totally see them glaze over. And it is a, it is a different language. So I know, yeah. Again. I was going to pick up on that language because I think, again, within the Arts Council we probably suffer from exactly the same, that children and young people is a goal, but some people think it's a bit over there and mm. not, you know, it's moved a long way, but mm. it's still got to become much more embedded in everybody's thinking. And I think if we, it's about how we present, it, present something around quality, because if we talk about reflective practice, I can see some of my colleagues thinking, oh, Lordy, here we go. Yeah. Whereas if we talk about it in um, a different... I don't know what the language is, but it's got to be accessible. Yes. Quality improvement. Although you talk to curators about quality improvement, you really will. 
Just they'll be no. out the door. Why? Because <laughs> it just, to the, uh, you know, I don't know why I think, I'll try it and see. Maybe I'm doing them an injustice, but I think quality improvement. I like learning, but again, I was told by our, uh, one said, they, we have moved on from there. I was told by our marketing department, could we not use the word learning? Because it was very worthy and uh, it had all the sort of joy sucked out of it. So, uh, I know, I'm very sure I shouldn't be saying all this is going on, I'm all being recorded, aren't I? I'm going to get sacked. <laughs> but they have moved on from there and now they embrace it. Now they embrace it. <laughs> Um, I just wonder if we have to put a label on, on it at all. And actually, if we're having a team meeting with our senior management team or with the board, actually, we're just having a discussion. Surely, it's not always about having to put jargon into it. Or, and actually, we just it, it, we should be using kind of the language that we all collectively mm. understand, rather than kind of having to say now we're going to do some kind of critical thinking, or we're going to do some kind of analysis on the way that we've learned, or all that nonsense that actually I haven't got time for anyway because it just doesn't sit with me but I just think as soon as you put a label on something you're automatically going to kind of get rid of half the people in the room and actually if you can just have a discussion on something yeah I think I do I, I agree with you to a point but I also think that it is it is also about um, in a sense you know if people want to take this practice seriously in a way I sort of think, well, you should perhaps make an effort to understand what, what it is that we're doing. And part of that is about understanding the language. I mean, I make a real effort to engage with the language that the curators speak. I want to know what it is that they're talking about when they're, when they're talking about a particular artist practice or, they're, you know, or they're, they're thinking about different kind of critical theory. And I sort of think if you're, it's a, it's a sign of kind of taking what we do seriously if you're prepared to go and, and understand I accept it. accept that. I just think that when you're working with perhaps a group of technicians, uh, majority of the technicians I work for are male between 20 to 35. If I started using some of the jargon and language that I use with schools and our other key stakeholders, I'm not going to get yeah. anything from them. And if I want them to buy into what I'm doing, yeah. then actually... I can't use that jargon and that language and I don't expect them to use that back with me because that's not their level of specialism and their expertise. Mm. And it's about that kind of, it's about respecting each other. And I just think as soon as you add jargon, you automatically create a barrier, mm. irrespective of whether you want to kind of respect one another or not. Mm. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think it's, um, but again, I suppose it's about taking people with you. So maybe, you know, you don't launch in with that, but then you work with them over a period of time every now and then you drop in the l word or you drop in the rp words and you know and see see how you get on um but i do i i think the whole thing of of um institutional the institution taking the practice seriously is a really really key one and actually again i think this is you know not to to sort of in a sense bang on about tape but I will is that I think one of the things that we feel is that we do have a responsibility is if, the, if, if an institution like Tate takes learning really seriously which it does actually I mean we now have a director of learning which who's a you know main board director it does send a very strong signal in terms of of how learning sh you know other smaller organizations perhaps ought to be and I think it's I feel really pleased 
that that's happening within Tate. You know, it's, it makes it feel like there is possibility for real change. It gives everything that equal status, doesn't it? Which yeah. I think is strategically a very good thing to do. But when we're talking about people on the ground, and actually, I think it, we need that full involvement. Yeah. And, just, and I do worry that sometimes we kind of get too hooked up, uh, hooked on kind of what's the re correct jargon and. Yeah. I think I, I yes. I'm saying the same thing over again, aren't I? Which <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop. It's all right. We'll forgive you. <laughs> um, I'm fortunate in coming from a quite a small organisation, in that the learning department is really embedded in the whole organisation. So we find that all the different departments all have a stake in it. So our marketing department has a has a real interest in the learning, the fundraising department also, and um, the artistic director is very involved with what goes on and is involved with the programming. So on a, on a broader artistic level, um, I work for Birmingham Contemporary Music Group, so it's, we do concerts and um, on, the, on the artistic directing side of things, um, the learning department is kind of it sits up there with the concert programming and so things like the family concert isn't just a concert that the learning department organizes it's it's treated like another mm. concert and that's that's a great privilege for the learning department and um i think it would be great if other organizations um were able to get to that stage of of being really key and integral to the organisation and where other departments realise that it's important for things like audience development and engagement with the community and it's not just a little programme that goes on the side. So. But I wonder, I think it's really interesting <laughs> and uh, I think it's really positive what you say and it makes me think, I wonder if there will come a stage ever where the uh, the the flip side would be that a curatorial team would feel privileged to work alongside five minutes uh, <laughs> yeah i mean could anyone envisage that ever well the the idea that it would be the other way around that rather than a learning department feeling and i i i think it's really fantastic that that what you've just said, I'm not, I don't want to suggest that that's not a good thing, but the idea that, that, um, that in a sense, a learning department should feel privileged to be judged as, as you know, on the, on the same level as a curatorial programme or a exhibitions programme. The only thing I would say is about that is that we, I think we're on the tipping point of it because the chief execs of I don't think you find people in the most senior positions who've come from the learning route at the moment. However, I talk a lot about how I eventually would like to be a chief exec, and but we're at, we're at a time where, although politically I'm not sure that is the case, uh, that in the arts I think it will come through the learning, but I don't think we're there for a while. I think it's great what you're saying. But, um, but you're that, and then that counter argument is mm. true. I'm not sure when we will. And it's interesting because you still said that learning programmed the family concert, 
and I would say, why aren't the core, not core, because I'm not saying that you're on site, why is that not coming from a programming team and learning, because it's just for... Well, it, it is... That it is programmed by the concert programming-y people, <laughs> but in consultation with the learning department so that it kind of makes sense, so you're getting the expertise on both yeah. sides. Um, but so no, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I think the structure's changed, though, because in our organisation as well, we have four producers who, and learning is sitting uh, right next to performing arts and visual arts, and that structure's changed in the last two years, and it's going to stay. But again, I, do, I would like to see, or maybe we could ask a question later on, any of the chief execs in the room come from a learning background mm. or that route, because um, it would be good to know when that starts to happen. Mm. There was certainly someone in the previous discussion who I think was the head of an arts centre who'd come through a, from a learning. Is the process you've gone through documented anywhere on, on your website that you could, if you wanted to read a bit more about it, you could? It, it will be. It, we're getting there. Um, yes, it will be, but it's not okay. at the moment. But I'm happy to, to send you Great. stuff. Yeah, there isn't much, but... No, no, we just use one, one, one thing that an organisation could do is to embed kind of the responsibility of each department within job descriptions mm. and actually to, to mm. explicitly say, okay, you are the marketing department, but you also have to market what yes. the learning part. So actually it's given equal weighting. And I think that's even yeah. s small changes like that can change the ethos of an organisation and says to outside organisations and people looking to apply, that this is a core activity. Yeah. And actually something as small as that can be quite significant, I think. But I, I, you, I totally agree with you because, you, you know, it, it's actually very profound because it, it, it is all about how the institution values what it does. And if, if it doesn't commit any marketing resources to it, it doesn't essentially value it. And so it, I think it, it is about sending a signal as well as actually making real its own values. You know, it, 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 if... You know, and it, it comes back to this thing of, and this is, in a sense, it becomes our very strong internal argument, which is that if Tate's core mission is this, then we need to be doing this. And if that's not happening, then how can we be saying this is our core mission? So, you know, that articulation, having a mission statement actually is, is, is really useful in that sense. Anyone? Last thoughts? Horrified? Shocked, euphoria. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England. <laughs>